So would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 19, and we've come to verse 11. Part one from this section, invasion. And I saw heaven having been opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting upon it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire, and upon his head many royal crowns or diadems, having a name, having been written which no one knows except himself. So he is the true ruler, the true king of the world. This one on this white horse. It is a comfort when we see that he is called faithful and true. All of history since the fall of man has been coming to this moment when he in righteousness would judge and he in righteousness would make war. Now he's angry and his fiery flaming eyes are discerning and filled with judgment. He owns every diadem that is possible. There are no other diadems. When the one first came on the first seal broken, the first horse, the white horse, he wore a Stephanos. He wore a crown that was given to him, but it wasn't his. This one on this horse wears his crowns. They're diadems, diadema. He has a name. This is mysterious. He has, he's going to, in, in, in every way you can think of, look like a man, only possessing all power and authority, but he is unique. He has a relationship with the Father that is eternal. We have a relationship with God that is by grace and because of him. But his name is unique, which no one knows except himself. Having been clothed with a garment, having been dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies who were in heaven were following him upon white horses, having been clothed in fine linen, white and pure. Here's the scene. I cannot appropriately or properly or in any other way describe what it means when the Bible says that the heavens opened up like a scroll and they were rolled back. I don't know if I, I, it seems as though the dimension of the third heaven is just opened up through a portal and those who were there are suddenly here by invasion, the armies of heaven. At this point, this would include the angels because in other parts of the Bible, we learn that he comes back with his angels. 
We also learn here that he comes back with his saints. In my view, this would be the resurrected saints. And in my view, the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints are not resurrected just yet. Very close to it, but not just yet. So this would be armies of angels and armies of, of the Lord's church, his bride, who were in heaven on white horses. So clothed in fine linen, white and pure, we were just introduced to those, the bride, who was clothed just like this. So this has to be the bride, a profound, unnumbered myriad of angels and saints. The sight is something that is really too profound to properly describe. How can we describe it? There's no way to describe it. Glorified saints, powerful angels, ready for war, following an angry king of kings, Lord of lords, the, the angry God who is coming to reclaim everything and to put sin away. So here they come. Christ is leading this attack. It's an invasion, white horse. He's faithful and true. What he is doing is righteous. No one can make an appeal against what he is doing because he's God. As they invade, as we invade, we attack. Out of his mouth goes forth a sharp sword. Maybe you'll remember the contrast that was made between the, Makara, the, the common man's dagger, the common man's sword, the common man's weapon, and the military weapon. Well, this is the military weapon. This is not the Makara, this is the Ramphaya. It could also identify, because it's coming forth from his mouth, and if you look at it, this is, this, he is the word of God and this is his word. It comes from his mouth. That hrumphaya is also, it was, it's an interesting study on that particular weapon. You, you, would, have a, you would have a particular pattern for this, for this great blade that would be the army sword but on the handle, you could affix a longer pole and it would be a spear. The Thracians used them not only for swords, but for lances or spears, would have the same blade, but were designed to be worn on the shoulder and then thrown. Many times, soldiers would have two. They would have the shorter, the shorter handle, chromphaya here, and the same blade but affixed to a pole here, that was their spear. In this case, apparently, the returning Christ 
with his massive invading force behind him just threw forth his word. That's all he did. So that he might strike down the nations with it. This is the end of the times of the Gentiles, of the times of the nations. Previous two chapters. The religious system, the false religious system has been destroyed. Revelation 17. The fault, the, the political, educational, cultural, uh, economic system of the world, which is Babylon the Great. So you have Babylon the Great and you have Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon is the religion. Babylon the Great is all of this world system that seems to have a grip on the souls of men. That's destroyed completely and utterly in the Revelation 18. But as that is destroyed, remember, and we have to take some of this from the book of Daniel, but it seems as though parts of the empire of the, of the Antichrist is becoming disgruntled and they are meeting and apparently kings of the east are marching this way. So they're meeting to fight each other at Armageddon. But the thing that brings them all together in one effort, they forget their fight with each other, that they might fight the returning Christ. And so here, after all of these other parts of the world system have been destroyed, the only thing left is the military system, the military power. From his mouth, a sharp sword. Probably that sword blade like on a pole, but it, it throws forth from the projection of his mouth. He speaks, in other words. He strikes down the nations with his word. And he himself will shepherd them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has upon his robe and upon his thigh a name having been written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here comes the invading force. I can't tell you how many hundreds of millions of soldiers. You know, a whole lot of the earth has been decimated, the, the population of the earth. You have tribulation, saint, uh, tribulation believers who are hiding. They haven't been killed yet. You have Israel about to come under vicious attack, Zechariah 12 through 14. Some of them are hidden in the mountains. And those will survive and go into the kingdom in their mortal bodies, thus to populate the earth during the millennial kingdom. The rest of the earth dwellers, except maybe for pockets of people here and there around the world, the rest of them are gathered in these armies and Christ makes a direct attack. Now you'll notice as he begins to come, let me go back, his garment, the garment of the king is dipped in blood. Isaiah describes that in that the invading Christ who obviously is leading the force 
is, is issuing the curse from the word of God to the armies of the Gentiles, the armies of the Antichrist with his false prophet. Just his word makes them drop dead. There's not really, there's not really much of a Before you can say Armageddon, they're all dead. So, he strikes down the nations, these armies. Then what happens? There are still those who are called the goats, the unbelievers, the earth dwellers, who haven't been killed on the battlefield of Armageddon. So what does he do? He gets off of his horse and he shepherds the nations with a rod of iron. Some among the nations are still unbelievers who didn't die at Armageddon. Thus, they're called the goats. Now, obviously, he would send his angels out and they would gather these unbelievers. Also, the believing Gentiles and believing Israel who haven't died yet. And that's called the judgment of nations. That's in Matthew 25. For the unbelievers, his rod is a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. Now the blood that was on his garment is the blood of his fallen enemies, according to Isaiah. So his white horse is stomping across the battlefield, littered with the skeletal remains and spilled blood of his enemies. And their blood is splashing on his robe as he rides this horse across the battlefield. Listen, the commanders have fallen, the generals have fallen, the officers have fallen. The, the regular army people have fallen. And the only ones who are purposefully left alive among the earth dwellers are the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're all dead. He angrily gathers the goats, this sheep, this, this shepherd. He doesn't want these goats with his sheep. The shepherd with a rod of iron kills them. Presses them out. He has upon his robe and upon his thigh a name having been written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If he calls the remaining earth dwellers into his presence and slays them right there, he has every right to do it because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we just read that everything that he does now is done in righteousness. Righteousness is the rule. Sin will be no more. It will be put away by the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the wrath of God. He's played around with humanity and played around, but he has, he has been patient with humanity. But that time is over. 
Through the millennia and every generation, the people of God have warned the world of God that there was, as old R.G. Lee used to preach, payday someday. And payday has come. I've told you many times about that old bumper sticker back in the 70s that I saw that said, Jesus is coming again and boy is he mad. You see, that's an understatement. This is the wrath of God coming forth from God the Son himself who is the agent of creation and now is the one who has been given all judgment and he has judged the nations here. The sheep will enter into the kingdom, not the goats. Death sentence right there. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Invasion, attack, destruction. And I saw one angel standing in the sun. He's up there. Everybody can see him. He's blocking out the sun. Saying, crying out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying in mid heaven, come, gather yourselves to the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those sitting on them, the flesh of all, both free and slaves and small and great. Those who didn't die in Armageddon have just been put to death by Christ himself. Their remains littered across the landscape. Among them, the kings. These would have been the ten kings of the, of the horns, the ten horns. And all the way down the rank, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And all of those who remained, who didn't fight in the fight, they're dead. And the great call comes from this angel for, the, for this great mass of birds to come and feed on the carrion of the flesh of the earth dwellers. The sight would be such that you would see birds everywhere across the fields gobbling up the remains of the fallen humans that I call the earth dwellers, all of them. Didn't matter how important they were or how unimportant they were. They were all killed. And their souls have descended to Hades. And they'll be there for a thousand years until the great white throne a thousand years later. After destruction, they're surrounded. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies, having been gathered together to make war with the one sitting on the horse with his army. Now we know what happens to the kings and their armies and those who are gathered to make war against the Christ of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And then... These two are captured. 
And the beast was captured. The false prophet with him. They didn't die. He kept them alive. The one having done the signs before him. By which he deceived those having received the mark of the beast. And those worshiping its image. The two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. Gehenna is the lake of fire. At this moment, at this present moment, no one is in the lake of fire. It's been prepared. The Bible says hell hath in, and it's an Old Testament reference to the lake of fire. And then there's another statement that says hell hath enlarged herself. It'll, it'll, hell gobbles all who are evil. It, it won't run out of room, in other words. So this lake of fire, apparently prepared since the beginning of the, the creation of the time-space continuum, Specifically, originally, for the fallen angels, for the devil and his angels, but certainly quite adequate to accommodate not just demons, fallen angels, but fallen man as well. There are two who will go there first, alive, alive. Apparently they won't even, apparently they won't even stand before the great white throne. They are so, they are so heinous and defiled. They're just booted right over into the lake of fire. I just lost everything. No, I didn't. And the Lord said, So they're all alone in the lake of fire for a thousand years until the thousand years are completed. We'll see more about that, God willing, when we begin uh, Revelation 20. These two were cast away, uh, alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. He judged them on the spot, cast them away into the lake of fire, which brings utter defeat. The rest were killed with the sword, having gone out of the mouth of the one sitting on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now there is a time frame here. This is... This is the great king with the citizens and soldiers of his eternal kingdom invading what had been stolen and now to be reclaimed. And so the earthly kingdom is going to be set up. And as we, go, as we go into the next chapter, we will see the completion 
of the first resurrection. And then the thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation. It's a very interesting read. It's a very interesting study. But for now, there are no more enemies. They've all been put away. They're dead. Antichrist and false prophet in the lake of fire. They'll be there forever. They won't ever get out of that place. And so now the cleanup and the establishment of the kingdom. There is a, there is a millennial, according to Ezekiel, there's a millennial temple to be built. There is a city to be restored and then renamed from Jerusalem to the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And establishment of administration and rule around the world with only saved folks and resurrected saints. How about that? And those who are alive are invited to come into his kingdom, the kingdom of his father prepared for them. And so Daniel gives a little space of time and explains how there's a time, a time frame where things are set up after the great war and destruction. There's really not much of a war. The destruction of the unbelievers, a space of time, some days, and the kingdom. The thousand years is what John calls it in the Revelation. We'll get to that, God willing, we'll get to that uh, next time. Okay, so here it is. Remember that God the Father gave the revelation as a present, as a gift to God the Son so that you and I could see who He really is, so that His church could be taught, enlightened, instructed into who Jesus really is. Now, we see who he is in the Gospels. We see his power over death in the resurrection. We understand his authority over the church in the rapture. And we see, we see a picture of him given in the Revelation 1. And we see a sweeping story of the church in the Revelation 2 and 3. And then we have this scene in heaven a scene of preparation and a call to the breaking of the seals and then the judgment to pour out. And then for many chapters, the judgment of God pours out on planet earth and they would not repent. But there are tribulation saints who are saved. There's preaching the gospel. Two witnesses, 144,000, angel in mid heaven. But the earth dwellers, they would not repent. More judgment, more horrific judgment, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. The final judgment on false religion, the final judgment on the false world system. And then the final judgment on whatever power the Gentile nations thought they had. With just a word coming from the mouth of Christ, it's all destroyed. 
they fall in an instant and it's all over. So this is where we've come. The times of the Gentiles are over. It's time to establish the kingdom on planet earth, the kingdom of God. The king of kings will rule on the throne from Jerusalem. And there's a beautiful account, especially in Isaiah, of what happens during the millennial kingdom. But our study will be focused mainly on the Revelation 20, which leads then into the new heaven and the new earth and the wonderful description given of it at the end of the Revelation. Okay, we stop there and pick up there next time. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we marvel at your word and we rest upon your promises and we are comforted by knowing that you are faithful and true and that you are to be called word of God because in you all of these wonderful promises come to be for us. Comfort us and strengthen us in these days and help us to know that you are sovereign over all things. In Jesus' name, amen.